Hello, I'm Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast to get you thinking about biblical and historical Christianity, to inspire you to follow Christ, and to convict you to lead a consecrated life. I've got a great interview for you today. I'll be speaking with Dr. Joe Martin, the president of the Atlanta Bible College, now just stepping down from that position as someone else is taking over. He has taught at the Atlanta Bible College for over 25 years. He's worked as an adjunct professor, a full-time professor, an academic dean, and also the president. In this interview, he talks about his favorite class to teach, his greatest challenge as a teacher, and his advice to those interested in going into ministry. He shares several stories about God's mighty provision during his tenure as president, including one incident when he marched the staff around the building for seven days in prayer before a mighty miracle happened. You'll have to stay tuned to hear what that was. His endearing spirit and passionate heart come through in this conversation along with his bold faith. Dr. Martin has degrees from the Atlanta Bible College, Southeastern Louisiana University, Arizona State University, Fuller Theological Seminary, and a doctorate in ministry from Columbia Theological Seminary. I hope you enjoy this interview. I had a great time talking with him, and I think we can all learn a lot from his example and his life. Here now is interview 11, Joe Martin, looking back on his service at the Atlanta Bible College. Well, welcome, Dr. Joe Martin. I'm glad to have you here today. Sean, it's been a blessing. Thanks for inviting me. So I just wanted to have a little conversation and talk about your time at the Atlanta Bible College. You've been there for decades. You've <laughs> taught probably hundreds or thousands, who knows how many hours, and you're getting ready or as they say in the South, fixin' to retire. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) fixin'. So I thought it might be a nice opportunity to just get your thoughts on looking back and and what you've seen and and get some advice and hear your impression of what it's been like. So uh, to start off, how long have you been working at the Atlanta Bible College? Rebecca and I moved to Atlanta in 1991 for that August semester. We were living in Phoenix, kind of novel situation. I got a call and said that Anthony Buzzard was not going to be able to teach that year. He he was going to let his daughter graduate as a senior in her high school. And so would I come and teach one year? <laughs> so you had invited to teach one year? I was invited to teach one year. In 1991. 91. So 27 years later, as president and executive director now, Uh, It's been a good run. It really has. So I came in 91. Rebecca had always said, you know, we went to Oregon Bible College in Oregon, Illinois, the the predecessor of Atlanta Bible College. And Rebecca has always, it was a cold three years. I had had some schooling before, and we took three years up there. But we stood over the registers being from the south most of the time in in the winters in illinois she said i'll never go back north again to live so when the bible college moved to atlanta ah see suddenly it, it seemed possible it opened up the possibilities and because you're from louisiana both yes of you. rebecca was actually born in texas but her dad was pastoring down in louisiana and we grew up and met in high school high school sweethearts and 
almost 50 years later, here we are. It's a miracle, <laughs> I tell you. <laughs> yeah, you're celebrating your 50th anniversary December, later this month. Yeah, December 19th, wow. coming up. That's so incredible, especially in our culture today, mm. to have people yeah. stay together that long. It is a miracle, but uh, <laughs> and she deserves a Medal of Honor for <laughs> okay. her tolerance. In your time at the Atlanta Bible College, what uh, roles have you had? I know you've been a professor and a an administrator. Are those the two main roles, or have you yeah, done other? There's other things. When I first went there, you know, I was just on a ten month contract, and so that was pretty nice. I got to do, you know, basically June and July totally free. I could do whatever I want and go to church camps or whatever. So I was on a 10-month contract. And I think that did that for about five years. But I was also dean of students eventually. And so, you know, I have two degrees in sociology and done a little counseling. And so I was dean of students, and I would deal with student issues occasionally. And then that continued on, and I eventually became academic dean. And then they asked me to be the president and then CAO, now executive director for the general conference in the, in the college. So I've had all kinds of offices. In the beginning, why did you become a teacher? Hmm. Probably you see people and how they live, and you see things that you like about them. And I probably became a teacher because of teachers. And I've had some great teachers. And, and one of the key people that taught me when I went to the Bible college was uh, John Lewis, Pastor John Lewis. Uh, he was a pastor in the, the General Conference for a, a long time and then got his master's degree somewhere in Illinois and taught. Very enthusiastic teacher, very enthusiastic teacher, preacher. So kind of got inspired by that. And also a great preachers as well, preachers like Z.B. Duncan, who was energetic, even Hollis Partlow, who extremely biblical. So I think that really got me going as to why I became a teacher, saying, you know, I want to serve God, and so let's try to get the best education I can for that to serve God and in a teaching way. So I pastored for 12 years. Okay. And so I just didn't jump into teaching, and, and all the time— I would go to school for a while, and then Rebecca would go to school for a while, and then I would go to school for a while. And so Rebecca is a registered nurse and neonatal intensive care nurse, so very precise career and very busy if she wants to be. Right now we're trying to slow down. And so she has her education, and I continued to pastor and get education. So I had some good teachers. So... Pastoring and teaching go hand in hand anyhow. Yeah, absolutely. And in your time as a professor at the school, what what would you say is your was your favorite class to teach? Or yeah. is that too hard of a question to that answer? That is that is a hard <laughs> question. I think I like the survey classes and really uh, now when I came, uh, Kent Ross was the academic dean and later became the vice president. And he says, I need you to take over the Old Testament class. And, of course, I, I went to school at Fuller Seminary with George Ladd, and so New Testament scholarship. And so I thought I was a New Testament person. But probably the best class for me was Old Testament survey. It just I had to dig and read and dig and read and dig and read. And 
the thing that it did, it gave me a better kingdom perspective. You know, it gives you that big picture from yeah. the Garden of Eden. And the Lord God was walking with them, Genesis 3, in the cool of the evening breeze. And so you get that big picture. Now you go to Acts, the restoration of all things, of what's going to be restored, what we had in the beginning. Right. So going through the, the Hebrew Scripture has been a, been a blessing. And then New Testament survey. You know, the teacher always learns more than the students. And so it's, I think the survey classes, both Old Testament and now New Testament, and so Bob Jones has come in and kind of taken over the Old Testament survey side, and I'm still doing the New Testament survey. That's how I remember was in the Old Testament survey mm -hmm. class when I was there. Yeah, that, it was in 2004, so that's been... three, four, five, yeah. Twelve years ago, huh? Yeah, it's been a little while. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, I remember sitting in that class and... I don't know what shocked me more. Was, was it your style and enthusiasm and passion? I mean, not that I hadn't seen passionate preaching before, but I hadn't seen, I guess, the Southern angle on that, you know, where <laughs> passionate <laughs> cousin so-and-so was sticking his head in the uh, to see if the, there's any gas left in yeah, the car and yeah. can't find a flashlight, so he uses yeah, a match yeah. and uh, lights his head on fire. Or uh, the some night, of the That's my night. Cuz lit his head up story. <laughs> I have a list of those stories in my Bible I like to tell. <laughs> and so, you know, just hearing some of that, and then the students, the community students were just a chorus of hallelujahs and amens and yeah, that's yeah. right and glory, you know, yeah, and, and everybody yeah. had their line, and it was just the most unusual experience for a Yankee yeah. like me to, <laughs> to, to go through. And, and then, of course, the perspective of the survey, where you go from Genesis to oh, Malachi yeah. in one busy, semester. It's busy, 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 busy time. You know, because I had read the Bible through a couple of times yeah. before that, but it takes me so long to get through it that by the time you're at the end, you don't remember what was it. So yeah. now it's one semester. You're going to get through it in one semester, and you can Finally, make a lot of connections. We have broken that up into two semesters where we'll do Genesis up to poetry and then poetry to Malachi, and same thing on New Testament. So it was really hard. But, you know, I appreciated you saying that about the, the community students. You know, we're in Atlanta. A large portion is the black community and the Bible Belt. And so... I just got out of class last night, and we were going over the book of Acts. And, man, I got excited about Acts 8.12. And when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. So I had some ladies from the community. Amen, brother. Amen. Preach it. <laughs> Still goes on. Yeah, yeah. I, I tell you, it, was, it really made an impression on me. I, I actually wrote down all the different call-outs that people had. Because it so yeah. surprised me. Because from my tradition, when people, for example, when people pray, the respectful thing to do is to be quiet in my tradition. And if somebody uh, prayed down in the South, the almost the disrespectful thing would be to be quiet. Yeah. Because you're supposed to They're indicate that in. you're with them, that you're, you would say yes or how, amen. You're affirming them. Affirm amen. All the time. Yeah. I preach it, brother. So it just, Hallelujah. Yeah. yeah. Just... Yeah, totally different experience, but it was great. I really appreciated it, and uh, I've always looked back on it fondly. Yeah, we are in the Bible Belt, so we have to do a lot of things like that. 
It seemed like you were pretty comfortable in that yeah, environment. Yeah, By the time I got there, you were No matter how well I've suited. tried to talk Yankee when I lived in Illinois and uh, you know spent time in California. I grew up in southern Louisiana. My little community, as you know, is Pumpkin Center, Louisiana, very close to Baton Rouge and New Orleans. But I relate to this Bible Belt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So in looking at the different classes you've taught, because you've taught so many different classes mm-hmm. in addition yeah. to these survey ones, what would you say is the hardest part of teaching over the years? I think probably keeping up. With new writing and new technology, some nights I would just go home and read for two hours in in a new field. And uh, right now, first century Christianity studies is just booming, and I I really appreciate that. I went down to SBL Society of Biblical Literature and and sat in on the the session on the Gospel of Mark, and, and Larry Hurtado was there, Dr. Hurtado, and Man, he's just, these guys are on top of it. And all I, I'm not a scholar scholar. I just try to keep up and to hear those guys and then to see people coming to the biblical truth that I felt like I've had for 30, 40 years and, and Atlanta Bible College teaches is just exciting for me. You know, and you could talk about Hurtado and James Dunn and, you know, N.T. Wright and, yeah. and, and all of those guys. They're coming closer i'm not saying all of them are there they're coming closer and then i had personal encounters you know uh j dan gill you know dan gill sure, dan, yeah. dan and sharon from 21stcentury.org and and then uh joel hemphill an old louisiana gospel singer that's won eight dove awards started yeah. you know wrote a couple books and he's been in my home and i've appreciated him and rebecca and i've gone with them to different places and and preach and you know and then a golfer kermit zarley out of phoenix you know, a golfer, <laughs> the man from the moon the man from the moon is writing books on god and jesus i, I just yeah. uh, i just appreciate the scholarship that's going on and it's not just the ultra academic world it's also it's a grassroots you know in a recent survey most people don't accept current orthodoxy. They like more straight Bible, and so that's what I'm going for. So you would say then the hardest part over the years has been just keeping up with yeah. the literature and the field, keeping your knowledge of the different scholarship fresh. And building relationships all along. So you just can't keep your head in a book. Yeah. You have to be able to relate to the students in class. What about in the classroom? Have you ever, what would you say has been a struggle in the classroom? Just to get everybody on the same page, you know, like, for instance, in the survey class, you can't hit every verse. There has to be a flow to the situation. And what I try to do, as you know, I try to have the students participate by reading around. And so it's a struggle. Like some students have been in that environment where they just come in and sit down and lecture, listen to lectures, and, and I try not to allow that. I want them to interact. And so in a freshman level, you are giving them a lot of information. But as they go up in the classes, they need to be talking. They need to be interacting. And so I don't let anybody sleep in my class. I let them. <laughs> I don't think you could if you tried. <laughs> you have to be dead. So what words of advice or warning would you have for young people who want to serve God in ministry? I mean, you've mm-hmm. been around 
so many students over the years participate in the training of many people that ended up becoming pastors and seen many many others who just went on to other secular careers or maybe were active in other kinds of ministry what what would you say is uh, if, as far as advice or warning do you have for those who do want to serve god based on what you've seen yeah i, I thought about that a little bit you know and life is hard but god is good and you will be a minister. We, uh, we are all ministers. Now, you right. not, may not be a paid professional, but we are all ministers in this thing. And so I was thinking about all the people that have gone through, and some have become better Sunday school teachers, better youth workers. They don't have to be in the paid professional area, but you hide the word in your heart that you might not sin against God, and that word becomes like a fire in your belly, Jeremiah. And so you have to talk to people, and that's where you minister to your next-door neighbor, to the, to the guy you went to high school with, to the people on the street. And so, but don't think it's going to be a bed of roses. What did Jesus say, John 16, 33, in this world? You, you, you will have yeah. tribulation or trouble, but yeah. take heart of overcome the world. So have you seen a number of people get frustrated or give up because of hardship after having gone there? It is a college. It is a study. And so it gets to be, it could become a grind. You need to be focused on God. If you focused on the drama of student life, it's going to get difficult and you're going to be drawn away from your studies. But I'm just glad to maybe have a student for a year to get through those Old Testament surveys, New Testament surveys, one-year foundation, because that would at least help them in whatever career they went on in the next 50 or 100 years. If they have a good Bible background, I think it would bless them in their life. Right. So that's the idea of instead of being only for training pastors, being a real service to the community of faith where somebody could go maybe right out of high school, take a year out, do Bible for a year, write some papers, organize your thoughts, learn Mm -hmm. what what's in the book in a systematic way. And then go to college. Yeah. Or then go to a trade school. Or then get get started with the career. Yeah. Yeah. Or or then what if you had the Bible background and and a lot of folks should have gotten it at home, but right. they didn't. Right. Deuteronomy 6, 4. Here is the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall teach them to your children when they lie down, rise up, walk along the way, and sit at the table. So a lot of young people have missed out on that because either of you know broken homes or whatever. So now they have to catch up in a sense. So that first year of Bible college at Atlanta Bible College would be a good place to catch up, to get that basic understanding. Yeah, I know for me, I don't know if my father would want me to say this, but when I first signed up and was getting ready to go down, he said, what do you want to go down there for? You already know the Bible. What are they yeah, going to teach you? Yeah. And, you know, there's there's a sense in which, you know, I had a very good biblical upbringing, and I had been through the Bible at least a couple of times before I went down there and had little areas of depth here and there in, in certain mm. books of the Bible, in certain chapters of the Bible. And when I, when I went down, even having a good biblical or Christian foundation, it was amazing 
how much I didn't know. Yeah. I, I mean, the uh, amount I was able to grow in those two years biblically was just astounding to me because and part of it is 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 the immersive aspect of that mm-hmm. environment. Part of it is the instructors and the assignments, uh, and, and and part of it is writing papers. I mean, it is hard work to hard work. make sentences and argue a point and do the research and read some secondary literature, not just the Bible, but also mm-hmm. what people who study the Bible their whole lives have to say about it. I remember just being surprised at how much I was growing during that time because, I, like I said, I had such a, a biblical background growing up. Yeah, it's, it's a little more formal setting, but you really are. You're getting the big picture, and you're walking through every book of the Bible and just making it fresh in your brain. You're talking about joys. Another joy that I have is I, you know, like when we went through the, the major prophets and I would be going through Ezekiel in Ezekiel 37, the 37 wills of Ezekiel 37. And then maybe 10 years later, I hear one of my students preaching a sermon on the 37 wills of Ezekiel 37. And so it's, you know, the best compliment is the repetition of of their learning. Yep. Well, I've certainly done that with a lot of (laughs) what I've learned. Uh, In particular, just off the top of my head, what comes to mind and and probably will will always remain as a very strong teaching point in my life is the eight attributes of God in Exodus 34, 6, and 7, and how you just drilled that over and over in Old Testament survey. And then in some other classes, too, over and over. And I, I tell you... I have it to this, this is 12 years later, 13 years later, I have it off the top of my head, I could say it right now. I teach it frequently to people, yeah. either one-on-one or in a, in a sermon, and you do see it. When yeah. you read through the Bible, yeah. you see it. Oh, there's you a little bit all, of it over there in over Jonah again. or over here in the Psalms. You know, and, and the point of that survey was, if you remember that, what better place to get information about God yeah. from the ipsissima verba, the very words of God, Compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, abounding in truth, maintaining love, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin, and yet does not, does not. And so, so you're learning about God from His own Word. Right. And then I later on in Revelation did the Jesus by Jesus, where Jesus talks about who He is. But you pick up some of those things, and and over the years they become a mainstay. They really do. Yeah. Uh, I will live and die by the simplicity of the Word of God rather than orthodox creedal systems, if you will. (laughs) Right, right. Let's talk about some practical tips, because once people get out of the college, then there's the question of what about continuing education? I'm serving here as a pastor, and this is an important part of my own life, to, to not stagnate or just say the same thing every mm-hmm. time I get up to preach, but to, to continue. So what, what words of advice would you have to folks for continuing education, whether they're in ministry or not? I just like to say, you know, almost like Joshua and meditate on it day, each day and night. Have something to do with the Word of God each day in your life. I'm in the profession, so I try to read things that are not on my syllabus list. You know, I might go into to Job and just read, even though I'm preaching or teaching New Testament. So I think you need to feed yourself daily 
on a daily basis, you know, your prayer life, your meditation has to be good. You know, Paul told Timothy, watch your life and your teachings. So it's not just biblical study, it's your prayer life and your devotion to God and your, your seeking Him and that, that humble heart and that humble spirit. Uh, a great saying that I heard before is, the more I know, the, the more I know I don't know. And so like you had a great Bible teacher in your dad, Vince, and so you come down, and, but the more you stay in the Word, the more you, you learn about the Word. And there are good, scholar, uh, good scholars out there who can give us a, a little better edge on what we know. Yeah. Let's, let's shift gears a little bit here and talk about your role as an administrator, as the president of the Atlanta Bible College and the Chief Administrative Officer. Is that what CAO stands for? Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, so let, how long did you serve as the president CAO? Uh, as of today, I, as still of today. Am. <laughs> I still am. Okay, so um, maybe that's a bad question. So it came in 91, and then about eight years ago, ABC was going through some, some tough times, and the board was having a meeting and they say we think we want to change positions you know would you be interested so i think there were three of us who went in and gave the board you know we have a seven member board for the general conference who oversees the atlanta bible college and the three of us gave a little spill and and i think my spill was let's try to get back to the bible and and get back to the spiritual aspect of things. You know, I think at that time we were in a, a mini financial crisis. We had overspent and things like that. And that, that again, what year was that? 2007? Uh, seven, or yeah. And seven, so, seven ish. So that was right before the financial meltdown. Yeah. It might have been in the latter portion of 2008 when some of that financial stuff had already started. So they, so I went in and made my little spill. If we get back to God, uh, I think things would be better. And others came in and talked about whatever. But and the board says, you know, we liked your spiritual focus and trying to be more tuned into God and, and get things. So they asked me to be. CAO and president of the of the Bible College, and it's been a good run. And they have now changed, just in fact, at this last conference, that title to executive director. So no longer CAO, chief administrative officer, but now executive director. We have been blessed. Missions is booming in the Church of God General Conference, and you know the committees are doing well and. By the way, so the board has asked, I tried to volunteer to, to try to ease out of the position because it's very busy, and I wanted to focus on teaching and focus on missions. And so the board eventually approached Seth Ross to come down as the new executive director and president. He will be doing that in just very shortly. Within. How many days? Uh, 29 days, uh, <laughs> 17 days. hours, and 22 minutes. But who's counting? <laughs> who's counting, right? So uh, this this is funny, but every time I see you, you say, well, Sean, I think, I think I'm going to retire. And it's sort of like the boy who cried wolf. It's like, yeah, okay, sure, you're going to retire. But it seems like something <laughs> happened recently where you really are retiring, at least from that position. And uh, Seth, of course, is a, a wonderful man who is well qualified to take the leadership role here, and, and you'll uh, 
presumably mentor him for a, a period here. And uh, that's got to give you some peace of mind that you're not just like leaving the vehicle with no one at the steering wheel, right? <laughs> yeah, and each of us needs to realize we need to pass it on to the next generation. Yeah. You know, we had the great generation in the World War One and Two generation, and then the boomers, me, the baby boomers came Gen along. X over here. And then we got Gen X, and then we That's got right. millennials, and, you know. And whatever the next one's called. <laughs> whatever the next one's going to be called, and so... And we know that trust to what did Paul say? And trust to reliable men. This this gospel that we have, and so I feel good about uh, Seth coming in. He's the uh, eldest son of Pastor Kent Ross that I worked with for many years. I feel very good about it. I want to spend more time in mission work, as you know. Rebecca and I oversaw the buying of a home in uh, Blantyre, Malawi, where we have. Uh, 150 churches in, Mal- in Malawi and about 300 in Mo- Mozambique. So this this house is within an hour or two of most of our churches there, and it seems to be a very safe, secure place. And so I will still be doing part-time teaching like you, <laughs> <laughs> with a more focus on family and friends and even possible writing a few things down from these years. Yeah, your book. My book that I've been talking about for 20 years. (laughs) Can't wait to read it. So how would you characterize your tenure? tenure, Or maybe you could share some stories about what you've seen over the years. Because as I recall, the Bible College campus I went to was in Morrow. Mm -hmm. And it was a beautiful campus uh, nestled in the woods. And it Mm -hmm. had... Access to the state school within walking Clayton distance, state University, right? Yeah. But the only problem was there were projects on either side, and there was crime mm-hmm. at that gas station. I can't even tell you how many times that place got robbed yeah. just down the road. Yeah. And uh, my wife had her digital camera stolen, actually, mm. out of her car. Uh, somebody from the next door apartments jumped the yeah. fence and yeah. came over and stole it and went back. And I, I understand why they moved the campus to McDonough, but uh, as I recall, by the time they were looking for someone to to come in there the finances were were not in order as far as uh, a sustainable plan they had sold the old campus and they were renting space yes in the top floor of this four-story building nice four-story building yeah but the money was running out and it it didn't seem like there was much of a hope (laughs) yeah one one of the characteristics of the situation i came into it was we were at a in deficit spending of, of quite a bit of money. I, I want to say two two hundred thousand dollars a year, and and you and I both know you can't have more money going out than coming in, and so it was it was kind of tough. So we took the hit. Start you know I I asked the staff to take some cuts, and we started cutting programs, and we used to pay all of our committee members, and and now the committee membership is volunteer the the youth work, the mission work, and and everything else going on. So it was kind of tough, but the Lord has blessed us, really. That was a beautiful campus in Morrow. And by the way, we bought a house just, what, two miles from that campus. Thought we would be there until the day we died. Uh, But you're right. Well, and you built that old campus, too. Yeah, we worked on the campus. I, I, I put in, you know, worked with Dick Eldred and others who did that, and built the built the buildings morrow became pretty rough rebecca was online the other day and 
Morrow was rated in the top 10 of murder per capita. Oh, no. And so it was probably a good move. And so the Korean extension went up to Duluth, and they bought a nice, they didn't buy a building. They're renting a nice facility up there. And then at the time, we went down to McDonough, and the tallest building in McDonough is four stories, and we rented the top floor of that building. And this is just, I think, a miracle of God. And through prayer, we were paying handsomely for that rental space. We were paying top dollar. But it was a nice facility that had a library space and and several classrooms and a kitchen and and offices and things like that. But a guy walked in one day under my watch and says, I hate to tell you this, but this building is in foreclosure. <laughs> oh, no. So not only are you in a $200,000 deficit, and it's not clear where you're going to be able to make up to pay the rent, but now the building owner <laughs> says, oh, by the way, yeah. this building is getting foreclosed yeah, on. And, wow. And so the guy was representing the bank, and he says, well, I said, well, could we try to buy it? Yeah, get in line. We're going to sell it in 60 to 90 days and just make your application. And at that summer conference, we presented it to our churches, and they said, let's try. And so the people responded to that. I remember the conference. It was in Omaha, Nebraska, at our at our Jane Street Church out there. Pastor Scott Ross was there, and now Scott Millard is there. We voted to try to buy that. And so we raised about two or $300,000 extra besides our budget to put as a down payment. We made a, an initial down payment. Now, we had to throw a couple offers in, which they rejected, but finally come back and they said, if you give us $1.2 million, by the way, the building was built for about $5 million, so oh, wow. you know, the economy just nosedive and so we're talking the end of 2010 now somewhere in there 2011 maybe and so we were trying to borrow money from banks to get the remainder of the 800,000 850,000 dollars we needed right and you know and how how were banks feeling about giving out money <laughs> to church groups? <laughs> to church groups in 2010-11. By the way, for your information, in the state of Georgia, we had the most lenient banking regulations. There were mo- more bank failures. Georgia was in the top three, I think. Oh, wow. Maybe California, but Georgia banks were going under. We could not borrow. We approached six banks, and they would not loan a church organization money. They didn't know what they were going to do with all their outstanding debts themselves. But one day, and I'm trying to think of the exact day, I don't remember it. I think it was maybe in February, March 2011, I get an email from a bank in Springfield, Ohio, and said, uh, Pastor Jack Herb has left most of his estate to Atlanta Bible College. And I'm wondering, so I called the gal up. She said, yes, yes, yes. And I know Jack. Jack was the big, tall guy. You, you may have met him. I met him, him at Christian Workers Seminar yeah, one, one yeah, time when I went. Very yeah. positive and, and fun-loving guy. But evidently he had, I don't how, but I get this, this email, and it says, you have in the trust available $850,000. And it gave it an exact number, you know, 857 230 whatever. 
the exact amount we were trying to borrow. <laughs> just incredible. So I thought that was a God moment. And now, so, did you know that was coming down the pipeline? Absolutely not. So you had no idea that was coming. Did you know that he had that kind of money? Absolutely. No away? one. No one. Right. Knew right. That. So this is just out of the blue. <laughs> out of the blue. You know, we thought you know maybe he left a thousand dollars or ten thousand. Right, right, you know, yeah. We're talking poor pastors, but. Something back in his past we know about, uh, his family was in a wreck with a train, and maybe he got some kind of payment out of that, and he invested it and never right. touched it. And however it came, absolutely no one knew about it. It fell out of the sky. He drove an old Buick, about 10 years old usually, and just the nicest guy and never pretentious or, you know. <laughs> and he's got 850 grand just sitting around. And not only that... That was just what was available then. Oh, okay. So his full estate, once it you know cleared, he gave some money to churches. He gave some money to individuals, but the major portion of the estate came. And later on, it was over a million dollars. Wow! Wow! So you said to the banks, "We don't, <laughs> we don't need your stinking money." <laughs> the Lord has given us money. Yeah, God's provided, yeah. and you Jehovah Jireh, Yahweh Yira. You bought the building. Bought the building. Cash. Cash money. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Lord. <laughs> wow, that's something, I and mean, that's just such a, an incredible story because, yeah. partly because it has, on one hand, it, ha- it does have to do with your courage because you did, you did bring it up. At that conference, yeah. he said, well, let's try. Yeah, let's try. But then at the same time, it wasn't because of your genius, mm, planning. masterful plan to yeah. sell bottled air to people in polluted areas yeah. or, or some weird yeah. snake oil scheme. It was just honest, seeking God, and God provided. I mean, you, you can't let, say that's anything else. Let me tell else. you, in the interim... When we first found out and we first offered, and I know this is going to be weird, but remember, I'm from Louisiana. I've had, I still have mud in my toes. <laughs> we marched around the building. I asked the staff to voluntarily come with me. And we have prayer every Wednesday at 1130. We went around the building every Wednesday at 1130 praying for the building for six weeks and on the seventh week i marched <laughs> oh around it <laughs> seven times seven times no you didn't yes i you're did you're joking no i'm not joking ask the staff and so uh and then and then the building fell no <laughs> <laughs> the building fell into our hands wow. so after during that interim time before i'd gotten the email we were in serious prayer and when you're doing like Joshua around Jericho, you're talking serious. And, and I wanted to be serious with God, and God blessed us. It's just so unbelievable. It's, it's, I know. It's, I, I, I thought you were pulling my leg. You really? No. Wow. It was, it was a blessing of God. And then in the interim now, we bought five lots that were well, trying yeah, to Yeah, talk put, about that. What's going on with the student housing? Yeah, we bought five lots for staff and student houses. Possibly retired pastors could come down. And, and at this point, we bought a house right across the street from the five lots, and we built a house. And we have a phenomenal couple in the, in the general conference, and they've okayed me using their name. Usually they're very quiet, but Don and Marge over it 
over Mars sent a hundred thousand dollar check one day. How would you like to be the guy that gets a hundred thousand dollar check in the mail? And they said we'd like to see another house. And so we're in the process of building another house. The board discussed this and their their meeting just last November and Lord willing we will start that in a few months. There's this incredible verse in Jeremiah seventeen where it talks about the person who trusts in God and then the person who doesn't trust in God. And it says of the person who doesn't trust in God that he is like, I think of a tumbleweed, a Mm. dried up bush in the desert. And the person who does trust in God is like a tree planted by Mm. living waters, you know, Mm. similar to the Psalm 1 imagery. And it says that this tree continues to bear its fruit and to have its green leaves even in times of drought mm, yeah. because it's by a river. Yeah. And the whole world, I mean, at least America, certainly Georgia, is going through a financial drought. Mm. And what happens is so far beyond just keeping your leaves green. Mm-hmm. You bought the tree. Yeah. yeah, we bought the tree. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so now you own the, the building that you we're only renting the top floor. Of. That's right. So now you have all these other floors that you can rent out to other businesses and get some tenants in there, and you can have some much more of a sustainable situation than that $200,000 deficit that you had before. Absolutely. So, I mean, this is just such a great yeah, God story. And really, it's and what I did, and I know people think I'm a little strange, but marching around the building was a little strange too, but I put a plaque in the building and it says in Hebrew, Bet Yahweh, the house of the Lord. And so it's a bronze pack on the first floor right above the elevator, Bet Yahweh, the house of the Lord. He gave it to us. We, no way we could have devised that plan. And up in the top as you enter Atlanta Bible College's main offices, the Bet Yahweh, the house of the Lord, and it has underneath John 17, 3, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And I do believe that, and now we have a, another classroom on the second floor. We built the classroom there. We built archives in. And so I am looking for this building to be not a place to come into and sit all the time. I am looking for this building to be a place where missionary people go out, where youth workers go out, where Sunday school workers go out, where teachers go out, where pastors go out. And so this is just a temporary headquarter for us to get on out into the world and do Matthew 24:14 and and go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples. That sounds awesome. Now that you're you're winding not down your time as Uh, the uh, leader of the administrative side of things, what would be three words of wisdom or a couple of words of wisdom that you would pass on to the next next leader? What would you say? Mm. Well, I... Run? No. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm talking. We're we're talking, you know, about Seth coming in. I tore off a post-it one time, and I wrote on it, rise above the drama. And there's a, there's a verse in, I think it's Second John, so, you know, don't get involved in this, this miscellaneous junk. You be a soldier for the Lord. So things are going to come along, financial crises, student life crises, and you know, you know how that is. And so 
I would advise, and that's what I've tried to do, rise above the drama of the 2008 financial crisis. Oh, my, my, what's going to happen? The election this year. Oh, my, oh, my, oh, my, what's going to happen? We are citizens of the kingdom. We need to rise above this system. Our kingdom is not of this world. We are in the world, but we're not of the world. So I would encourage Seth and, and everyone, a believer in Christ, to rise above it. And also, I would say stay tuned to God. You, you have to stay tuned and pray. You know, Jesus is our example. When he was in the middle of the fray, he would go off to the mountain and pray. You yeah, know? yeah, he would. You, know, you got to take time out. And one thing I, I have done we're not Sabbatarians, but uh, one thing I've done, my light teaching day and administrative day was Friday. So most of the last two years, I've taken quite a bit of time. I just stayed in, in bed and I had my Bible works open and I've studied and read and prayed and Take some time off, Seth. Don't stay in the office all the time. And I know he'll visit <laughs> churches. And I'm telling everybody this. You know, uh, there's a the thing to this principle of Sabbath rest. It can't be a grind all the time. You have to get off to yourself and pray. If Jesus had to do it, I think we should do it. So words of wisdom rise above this fray, this drama, this system. Be a kingdom citizen and a kingdom-oriented person but also be very tuned in with God and take some serious time for study and your own personal devotion. So for you, as we talked before, you're planning on getting much more involved in Africa Mm, and the missionary efforts there, but you are still planning on teaching some, right? How does that work? You're going to live part of the year in Georgia and part of the year in Africa? That's kind of the plan. Rebecca and I have, you know, we have uh, a son in Knoxville, Tennessee, Jeremy, and a daughter in Phoenix, Arizona, Jennifer, and I want to spend more time with them. So I may take a semester sabbatical off if we get the right situation, maybe every year where we're looking at anywhere from two months to four months in Africa. We don't know yet. We just bought the house last summer. And so we're in the process of that. So what the picture is going to look like, Seth is coming in, and David Krogh is still going to be academic dean, and we still have teachers there who come in, like yourself, who do adjunct teaching, and Rebecca Doxis, and we have Amber McLean coming in this semester doing the Spanish class and things like that. So hopefully if I will eventually just be doing teaching like Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and then taking major time in the summer or even one semester off and spending time. Uh, they are crying in Africa for a potential Bible college there. That's ABC again, <laughs> Africa. Oh boy, Bible here we go. <laughs> here we go again. And of course, they have no funding, so it would have to be just a gut level grassroots effort to try to do more teaching, but we've got some great men in Kenya, Maurice Chihilo and, and James Nianguti and some great leaders in Malawi, you know, Fraser and Howard and, and so all those other guys, and then in Mozambique, Bongo and Chaka and, and Nevisandi. So maybe do some more formal training for their young guys. So they're the people who are doing the teaching now. And so if we could come in and just 
supplement some of their teaching in a, in a better organized way. I don't know how that's going to work. I'm looking to God for help. Well, it sounds exciting. A whole other chapter in your life. <laughs> yeah. Well, any other thoughts before we, before we end up here? It's been a blessing. You know, I grew up under John Lewis and, and Z.B. Duncan's preaching, and I wanted to imitate that and not just imitate it because, but it, because it made sense. The message of the kingdom that Z.B. Duncan preached, an old-time North Carolina preacher, just made it come alive. And so I've, I've, been tried to be, I've tried to be more energetic even in the classroom and, and make the kingdom come alive and make Jesus come alive and make our Father come alive. And so uh, I'm just going to try to do that. And I did get some bad news recently that I really had a broken back. <laughs> and so I am going to stop lifting heavy things and stop building heavy, heavy things. But Lord willing, I still have part of my, my mind. <laughs> and so we'll try to use that as long as the Lord permits. Great, great. Well, thanks for taking the time today. Mm, thank you, Sean. God bless you. In the, God bless Restitudio.org. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I hope you found that interesting. Just a couple of quick notes here. I did put links to a couple of YouTube channels that feature Dr. Joe's materials, including the 21st Century Reformation, as well as his own personal channel. And you can look up more information about him at the Atlanta Bible College website, if you'd like to engage with this interview and leave a comment or a question, please visit restitudio.org, click on the podcast tab at the top, and you'll be able to find this episode. It's interview number 11, and you can drop a comment there. Also, if you would like to share this on social media, that would be great as far as getting other people to find out about this podcast and this episode. If it's not too much trouble, why not? Give us a review in iTunes because that really does help others to discover these podcast episodes. And also, if you haven't already listened to it, check out Interview 10 where I spoke to not only Joe but also Rebecca, his wife, about their missionary work in Africa. So thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. And remember, the truth has nothing to fear.